look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB Podcast with Peter King where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, I'm joined by new Denver Broncos coach Vance Joseph, longtime CBS analyst and former NFL MVP quarterback Rich Gannon, and former teammate of Aaron Rodgers, linebacker A.J. Hawk. I asked Vance Joseph, after just one year of being a coordinator, if that's enough to be an NFL head coach. In my mind, I'm more than ready for the job. It's a it's a great job with high expectations. You know, I'm going to embrace that. You know, I get it. I asked Rich Gannon, who's done the Green Bay Packers preseason telecast for every year of Aaron Rodgers' career, what makes him so great? It's his feet. I think he has the best feet in football. His his lower body is in sync with his upper body. His foot quickness, his ability to move his feet in rapid succession. And I asked A.J. Hawk why Aaron Rodgers was such a good teammate. I sat next to him in our team meetings for nine straight years. So I got to see him day in and day out, no matter what happened in that day in practice or if it was after a rough loss. And he was always the same guy and always super highly respected by how he carried himself and how authentic he is. I don't know, it's a special thing. One of those things, now that I'm thinking about it, I wish I would have taken some notes. Now my conversation with Vance Joseph. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King, uh, I'm joined now by Vance Joseph, the head coach of the Denver Broncos, who joins us from his office in Denver. First of all, Vance, what does it, what does it sound like when I say you're the head coach of the Denver Broncos? <laughs> It sounds weird, Peter. It, it, it sounds weird. It, it's uh, you know, it's a, it's exciting, but it's you know, it's a real, you know, it's a, it's a dream job for many reasons, and um, you know, it hadn't, it hadn't kind of sunk in yet. I'm kind of just working, building my staff, and you know, building schedules. But I, you know, I haven't had any time to kind of sit back and kind of take it all in, and that's that's probably a good thing right now. I'm wondering, as a guy who went to the University of Colorado and a guy who coached at the University of Colorado. Right. What's it like to walk down the hallway and there's your boss, John Elway? It's amazing. Uh, you know, it's amazing. I mean, obviously, John, he's a, he's a Hall of Fame player I mean, as an NFL quarterback. And, you know, as, a, as an exec, I mean, I mean he's, been, he's been highly successful. So it's, um, it's an awesome feeling, obviously, to have him in my corner, you know, from advice, you know, from an advice standpoint. And, I mean, he's done a great job with this roster, a great job with the cap. So he's a winner. So I'm, I'm joining the winner right now with John, and that's exciting also. I'm going to go back in time now to 1995, to a game at the Meadowlands between the Miami Dolphins and the New York Jets. Right. <laughs> and Vance Joseph at the time is a defensive back with the New York Jets, undrafted yeah. player. Yeah. And I, I think you might know what happened that day, but I'm going to just sort of set the stage. The yeah. New York Jets are ahead of the Miami Dolphins, 17 to 16. It's yep. late in the fourth quarter. There's three minutes to go. Bernie Kosar is driving the Miami Dolphins down the field to win the game. It's either yep. going to be a Kosar touchdown pass to win or a Pete Stoyanovich field goal to win. 
Now, I know this is uh, almost 22 years ago, but I want you to tell me what happened next. Well, I was I was playing man free, I think on on uh, Fryer, Irvin Fryer, who was who was a big time receiver out in Nebraska, and he was he was you know older in his career. So I was playing man free. I was playing off coverage, and you know I'm kind of playing square in my coverage, and he runs a curl route. Okay, so I come out of my break, you know, I break I break towards Fryer, and he falls down. He falls down. So the ball's being thrown to him. Obviously, I don't fall. It hits me right between my forty three. So I catch the ball, I sprint down the sideline, kind of out of bounds, and the game's over. So it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a interception for the game winner, you know, against uh, against the Dolphins. It's what we might call today a walk off <laughs> interception by Vance Joseph. And and there are a few people, unless you live in New York or Miami, people right. don't understand that's a real rivalry. The Jets and the Dolphins, they hate each other's guts. So just think, you made the difference in a Jets-Dolphins game in your playing career. That's kind of cool. Absolutely, man. It, it was really cool. But, the, you know, that's, that story is funny because my first day on a job at, at Miami, someone told that story, you know, to, you know, to one of our players, but they thought Dan was the quarterback. Yeah. And Dan was not the quarterback. He right. was not the quarterback. So yeah, I think Dan that was it, the year, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> that might have been the year he had his Achilles injury. Absolutely. So when Dan heard the story, he comes right to me. You didn't pick me off. Because, Dan, <laughs> that, that stuff's personal with Dan. I go, Dan, I didn't say it. I knew it wasn't you. Hey, man, I'm good. <laughs> it wasn't you. But, but someone told Dan, I said it was him and it was not Dan. Yeah. I wish it was Dan, but it wasn't Dan. <laughs> with Vance Joseph, the head coach of the Denver Broncos. So, Vance, I think America sort of looked at this hiring a little bit quizzically. Okay, for two reasons. Number one, you've been a coordinator for one year. Number two, your defense with the Miami Dolphins was 29th in the NFL this year in yards allowed. Now, not in points allowed, but in yards allowed. So I think everybody is saying, doesn't this guy need a little more seasoning? So what do you think when you hear people questioning your credentials? Well, I say this, you know, um, you know, as, as, as far as the one year as coordinator, you know, I've been, I've been in the league 14 years, you know, it'd be my 14th season. And I think the experiences you have, you know, allow you to get ready for jobs like this. I've had great experiences. I've worked for, um, you know, a, a number of great head coaches in the league with Mike Nolan and Singletary and those guys. And obviously Kubiak and Marvin Lewis, a great influence in my life as far as a coach. So that part doesn't bother me. You know, I think the experiences that you have in the league allows you opportunities like this and, you know, to be a head coach early in, in your career, you know, as far as the defensive performance this year, you know, I thought we did a great job on defense. Now, as far as the yards allowed, it wasn't what we wanted, but as far as, you know, winning games, you know, winning 10 games for the first time, you know, in probably 10 years there, making the playoffs for the first time, you know, in, in, in 10 years, they're beating the Jets for the first time twice in, in, in eight years, beating Buffalo twice for the first time in like 10 years. So what we accomplished in Miami kind of, you know, spoke for itself. You know, it was it, it was a hell of a job by, you know, Adam Gates as the head coach and myself as a coordinator. So I'm proud of that. You know, sometimes numbers can be misleading, especially when it comes to total yards. That's more of a team stat. You know, we played the most snaps in the whole NFL. You know, you know, we had 13 different lineup changes the whole year. So, but I'm proud of what we accomplished in Miami because it was a, it was a hard job, you know, going into that place and we left it, you know, left it a lot, a lot better than we came into the job. So I'm excited about what we accomplished there. 
tell me about your interview with John Elway mm-hmm. and what do you think you said in the course of that interview that convinced him to say, I like this guy, I want to give him this job? Yeah. Well, the interview process with John was more of a conversation. You know, you know, obviously it comes down to organization and schedules and those things. But as far as who I was and what he wanted from me, it was more of a conversation. And I think John knew that I work for Gary. You know, I work for Gary, you know, in Houston for, you know, for three seasons. So he knew when I came in, I knew Gary's culture. I knew what Gary asked the players to do. So, um, you know, as far as the new head coach, you know, if, if I was the guy, it would be a seamless transition when it came to the culture of the football team. You know, obviously defensively working with Wade and, and the staff on defense for, you know, in Houston, in my Houston years, you know, it was, it was a seamless transition. But I thought, you know, I, you know, I knew John wanted a guy who can lead the locker room. You know, and, you know, obviously keep the defense intact and, you know, and find a offensive formula that scored, that can score points, you know. So I kind of figured I was that guy, you know, and I'm and in my mind, I'm more than ready for the job. It's a it's a great job with high expectations. You know, I'm going to embrace that. You know, I get it. You know, this team has won a lot of football games and they want to win more going forward. You know, so I'm I'm going to embrace that, you know, and make it fun and it's a challenge, you know, that I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to. With Vance Joseph, the head coach of the Denver Broncos. So Vance, let's talk about the influences that brought you to this point. Let's go over some of the people who've influenced you in your career and tell me what you learned from each one of them. Let's start right. with, let's start with Mike Singletary. Well, Mike Singletary, guys, you got, you know, obviously, I mean, Mike, Mike was a great NFL player. You know, he was a young coach when I met him, but Mike was a, a leader of men, you know, Mike was a guy that can, that can, uh, you know, lead men through fire, you know, and, you know, guys would follow Mike, you know, Mike was honest. He was transparent with players and players loved playing for Mike. Now, Mike wasn't easy to play for, but players enjoyed his honesty, enjoyed his, uh, his demanding personality. So, you know, Mike kind of, you know, shows you, Hey, you can, you can coach players hard, you know, without being a jerk. That's important. You know, that's important, you know, to coach players hard without being a jerk. So Mike, Mike kind of taught me that lesson. What about coaching with Mike Nolan? Well, Mike Nolan was my first experience as an NFL head coach, you know, as an as, as NFL coach, I should say. You know, Mike taught me how to prepare for, for NFL offenses. Mike was so detailed. and I mean, he was, he was truly a grinder. You know, Mike would stay all night until it was done, and he would push me to – always have answers. You know, I would say, Hey Mike, I like cover eight. He would go, why, you know, why do you like cover eight? So before I bought something to Mike, you know, I made sure I, it was vetted, man. You know, I went through it from the top to the bottom to make sure it was right. Because if not, Mike would poke holes in it. So that became my habits, you know, my habits of making sure it was right. You know, making sure you would detail with your, with your, uh, with your game plans, with your calls. So, you know, Mike, Mike was a great football mind, a great football mind that understood offenses and defenses alike. So that part from Mike, I really appreciate it. Wade Phillips. Wade Phillips. Wade Phillips, obviously, I mean, he's a, he's a Hall of Fame coach. Okay, I mean, but, but Wade taught me this. Players first, scheme second. Everything Wade did was based on the players. And I never had a bad day with Wade. If it was if it was a win by fifty, it was a loss by fifty. I never had a bad day with Wade. And he was a firm believer in do what players do best. Okay? Do what players do best and do it often. That was that was that was Wade's, you know, advice to me. 
And again, you know, you know, Wade would always say, hey, you don't, you don't manage players. You work with players. You know, every player that, that played for Wade, they love Wade because Wade allowed players to be themselves, but in turn still do their job and, 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 and have success with Wade. So I never had a bad day with Wade coaching. It was, it, it was a beautiful experience working with Wade. Vance, you know, now that you take this step and you're the head coach of one of the flagship franchises in the NFL, so how do you handle what has been an issue a little bit this year? Very strong personalities in that locker room, and they're going to need sometimes when somebody maybe hollers a little bit too loud or when somebody goes over the line a little bit, Mm-hmm. you're going to need occasionally to be a little bit, maybe not quite of a Lombardi, but maybe right. of a Mike Tomlin, where you right. sort of get in their face and say, that's not that's not team or whatever. But just tell me in your mind, why do you think you're ready to, when you have to, to be the cop? Right. Well, I'll say this, Peter. You know, the best teams win. You know, not the best offense or defense or special teams. The best teams combine win. So, that's going to be our philosophy from day one. You know, being a good teammate, that's going to be a, you know, that's going to be our focus. You know, we can, we can have an environment of, of competition, of, of guys being held accountable without being bad people. So, so it's not, it's, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Every good team, every good team has, has checks, checks and balances. You know, so that's that, that's not rare to a good football team. So I want that. I want players to challenge players, but it's how we do it. It's how we do it, and you know that's that's going to be our focus. But if it happens and it's not done right, you know, it's it's my job to lead this football team. You know, and I've had experiences with a lot of personalities from Adam Adam Jones to Adamic and Sue, and they all they all respond to my coaching style because it's honest. It's honest, it's truthful, and it's consistent. You know, if you know if players understand your demands and your um your take on certain issues, it it won't be an issue. I'm curious. Talk to me about coaching in Dominican Sue and getting him to respond. Right. What exactly right. did you do? Because a lot of people have said there's a tough guy to work with. Right. Well, I'll tell you that guy. Okay. First of all, that guy is a true professional. Okay. He's a hard worker. He wants to win. Okay. Now sometimes with great players, you have to balance those guys being a little bit selfish versus being selfish to the team. And, 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 you know, I told Sue this, I said, look, I said, for, for you to be the best player for us to be the best defense we can be. Okay. I want you to be selfish. Okay. With your time, you know, and you know, how you work out, how you prepare, because you being selfish, being the best player you can be, okay. Allows our defense to be a, a, you know, a pretty good defense. So it's a fine line between selfish and selfless. Okay. Because most great players are selfish and they should be because they're, they're, they're great players, you know, for a reason. And I want those guys to spend time getting themselves right. So, and also most players want a voice. I gave him a voice because he works at it. He wasn't a guy that would bring me ideas that wasn't, wasn't, wasn't fully understood. I wasn't fully um, researched. He would bring me thoughtful ideas. So I would implement them for him because he worked at it. So most, most great players, they have a button, you know, you know, what's important to great players. You got to find it out and apply it, you know, so to speak. Finishing with Vance Joseph, head coach of the Denver Broncos. So here's one thing I'm curious about with a new NFL coach. What do you think it's going to feel like for you when you stand on the sidelines and look 53 yards away across the field and there is Bill Belichick? <laughs> well, 
it won't feel that much different than, you know, you as an assistant, I mean, because I don't, I don't play, Bill don't play. You know, obviously our teams play the game and, you know, players play the game, so I won't feel that much different. But obviously he's, he's one of the greatest of all times. And That'll be a fun you know, day, won't it, for you? Absolutely, and it's and and it's my job to get my team ready for the ready for the challenge because you know his team's gonna be ready for the challenge. His team again is the most efficient team in football, so to have your team ready for that challenge is always a must. Vance Joseph, really appreciate you joining me on the podcast, and wish you a lot of luck this year. You you come very very highly recommended to Denver, yeah. and I'm sure you're gonna have a great career there. Well, thank you, sir. I think uh, congrats in order for you, right? Peter? Oh yeah. Well, I did. I, I am a new grandfather. You you were the Congrats, first man. guest on the Peter King podcast <laughs> with me as a grandfather. So I'm a real old man now. Awesome, man. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. It's very that's cool. Awesome. Congratulations. Thanks so much, Vance. You have a great day and good off season. All right, Peter. I'll see you soon. You're listening to the MMQB podcast. SeatGeek is the smart way to buy and sell tickets for live events. The NFL playoffs are here. They are in full swing. Each game's a can't-miss experience. You can also use it to find the best deals on tickets to NBA and NHL games and college basketball games, concerts too. There's nothing like being in the stadium for the biggest plays of the year. And with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the seats you want at a great value. Plus, every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Now, Pay attention to this next part. It's vital. My listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. That's 20 bucks right in your pocket. And to get it, all you have to do is this. Download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Then enter promo code MMQB. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. It doesn't get any easier than that. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code MMQB today. And now my conversation with Rich Gannon. Back on the podcast with uh, Rich Gannon of, obviously, of CBS Sports, former National Football League Most Valuable Player, longtime quarterback in the league. And Rich, one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk to you this week is that I cannot stop thinking about that pass that Aaron Rodgers made on Sunday against the Dallas Cowboys. To me, that ball traveled 36 yards in the air. He threw it at one of the worst positions a quarterback can throw a football. Running a right-handed quarterback, running to his left, being close to the sidelines, waiting, waiting, waiting for the moment where he thinks he has even a microscopic window to throw to. And then not only throwing it, but throwing it on a line and it traveling 36 yards in the air and landing in the only spot that it could land so that the ball would be complete. So I'm sorry I sound like such a fanboy. I I just can't get over this pass. So As a quarterback and as someone, I should introduce you also as someone who has done Green Bay Packers preseason games for 10 years and who knows Mike McCarthy so well, who knows Aaron Rodgers so well. I want to know if you have any of the G whiz quality that I have after watching that pass or do you shrug your shoulders and say, hey, all in a day's work. No, I do, Peter. Absolutely, and you know I've seen those type of throws from him before, so I can't say I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. Although, when I watch players like Aaron or Tom Brady, you, you know, you, 
even though I played the position for 17 years in the National Football League, I got to tell you, I'm really amazed at, at the at the production, the consistency, and, and just the the overall talent. And I think Aaron, you know, you can have a discussion or even a, a debate about who's the best quarterback in the game, and certainly Aaron Rodgers, I think, would fall into that that category and that conversation. But I don't think you can debate who's the best quarterback outside the pocket. I think clearly it's Aaron Rodgers. I, I think most defensive coordinators would tell you that he does most of his damage and they're more concerned when he gets outside the pocket. And I think there's a couple things that when I look at that throw in particular, I think it's his, and people don't talk about it enough. I mean, his arm talent is off the charts, his wrist talent. You know, people don't talk about that as, as much, you know, the, the wrist talent, the ability to, to simply, you know, uh, flick your, just flick your wrist and, and, and spin that ball out there. And I think he does that, you know, effortlessly, but I think it's his core strength and it's his leg strength. And he, he doesn't need to be in a, a balanced position to make great, accurate throws down the field. I mean, I, I saw a number of those throws in the game where he just flicks it. And, you know, it's he's got a number of different throws that he that he makes, but he can get the ball up and down so quickly. And I think the other thing that really separates Aaron is, and I've said this a number of times, I think when he's in the gun, nobody gets the ball from center catches it and gets it out as quickly as Aaron Rodgers. You know, he, he has, you know, especially in the quick game, you know, that they run so well in Green Bay. But I just think his ability to do those things really separate him from the rest of the quarterbacks in the game. I don't know if you saw this, Rich, but after the game, Randall Cobb told Robert Klemko of the MMQB that in the huddle before that play, Aaron Rodgers invented the roots for his receivers. He told everybody where to go. You do this, you do this. And he told Jared Cook to run a very deep out. And he told Cobb to run a shorter one. Uh, But he knew that Cobb was too short because he also knew that he had just one play. And then the next play was either going to be a Hail Mary or a field goal. And obviously you want to attempt a field goal. But what do you think when you hear that Rodgers was in the huddle with the play clock going, telling guys individually what to run? Well, I think he has great flexibility and freedom within the system. I think he's earned that right based on his play and performance over the years. And I think the other thing, Peter, to keep in mind, you and I have had this conversation a number of times. There's a uh, a great comfort level when you've been in the same system your entire career. I mean, he has had a relationship with Mike McCarthy going back to his rookie year. And I think he's been able to grow. They've been able to grow together and, and this system has evolved and he is a master of his domain. He understands it as well as anybody. And I think Mike gives him the freedom and the flexibility to change plays, the line of scrimmage, change protections, make adjustments in the huddle because he trusts uh, based on his experience and his productivity that he's going to do the right thing in a critical situation. I'm with Rich Gannon of CBS, former NFL MVP. Also, he's done the Green Bay Packers preseason telecasts uh, for every year that Aaron Rodgers has been in the league. So if somebody is watching a football game for the first time and says, boy, this Aaron Rodgers guy is pretty good, your knowledge of Aaron Rodgers, what makes Aaron Rodgers great in your mind? Well, I think you just go down the list, right, of intangibles, arm strength, he's off the chart, his ability to throw the deep ball, every throw imaginable, his quick delivery, we just talked about that. I think his accuracy, whether it's a short ball or the deep ball, his touch to be able to throw over a defense, the timing, the anticipation, the feel for the throw. So it was a very catchable ball. 
I think his judgment back there in the pocket or whether he's on the move is outstanding. His anticipation, how he plays versus pressure. We talked about the quick setup and, and uh, the drop back speed. There's a lot of quarterbacks that don't get away from center very well. And you look at him in the pocket, you look at him in the gun. A lot of quarterbacks, uh, when they get in the gun, they get lazy with their feet. And, and Aaron Rodgers, Peter, I can't speak enough about it. You know, some of the people talk about his arm town and all that. It's his feet. I think he has the best feet in football. His, his lower body is in sync with his upper body. His foot quickness, his ability to move his feet in rapid succession, set up quick, quick, quick escape. And his footwork technique, which, as you know, Mike McCarthy harps on over and over again, his ability to avoid and escape and extend plays. His ball handling is, is reminds me a little bit of Peyton Manning. Very good with the play action game, the fake extending the ball. Um, you know, and then you start going down the list of, you know, all the other things that takes the, the mental toughness and the courage, the leadership. I mean, he, he just, you go through every, every checkpoint or every intangible and you just check the box with this guy. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of weaknesses or flaws in his game. With Rich Gannon, Rich, you know, I, I sometimes watch games being played and I say to myself, we're really seeing something special. And in fact, I, I'm going to write a column this week about how we're in such a hurry in our sort of sporting society to move on and to say, hey, what about the championship games this weekend? What do you think of those and all that? But I think sometimes you see a game, you see some play. And I'll just tell you this. I was extremely impressed with Dak Prescott, too, in that game. That guy is so much better than any rookie ever has a right to be. And so I I look back at that game, and I wonder when you look at that game as a player, as a guy who used to do this and who used to strive for perfection the way you did. I remember being around you a lot, especially late in your career with, with Gruden in Oakland, And Gruden would talk about you like you were a guy who didn't even need to be coached. You coached yourself because you were so demanding of yourself. When you watch a game like the divisional game between Green Bay and Dallas, tell me what you thought. Well, a couple things come to mind. I just think that the the two young players that the Cowboys have in terms of Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott, you know, Peter, I, I just think the season that, that Dak Prescott had was incredible. When you think about, you know, him being a, a mid-round draft pick, um, you know, the expectations were that he would maybe make the team, or, you know, be a backup and a developmental player. And, and I think the fact that he was so good with the football, I mean, that's that's usually the, the downfall for young players at that position, the turnovers, the lack of, you know, awareness, ball security. He was phenomenal in, in those areas. His, his athleticism – I uh, just think his his uh, his vision and his ability to see things and see plays develop, his anticipation, all those things were just so impressive. The running back is going to be a great player for a long time, so I think the future is bright there. But on the other side of it, I go back to you know, this this Green Bay Packer team, the job that Mike McCarthy has done. Remember, eight weeks ago they were calling for his head in Green Bay; they wanted yeah. him out. Yeah, you know, and he's not a good play caller, and you know. And, and meanwhile, Aaron Rodgers gets up there at the podium and says, I think we're good enough to run the table. And now they've won eight straight <laughs> games. And there's, you know, they're as dangerous as any team in football. And it's how they're doing it. I mean, they had a, 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 a kick returner and a receiver playing running back 
uh, in Ty Montgomery. And, you know, they've had all kind of adjustments that they've had to make on defense. They've had the injuries. But, you know, everyone's had to deal with those type of things. But the one constant has been the play and the performance and the production of Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he is amazing. And I just think that, you know, you look at that throw on the degree of difficulty, Peter, that's off the charts. I mean, as you mentioned, moving to your left in the critical situation, last play of the game, essentially, on offense, and to be able to fit that ball in there, you know, it's just, it's it's incredible. I mean, and, and that's the thing. I, I rarely sit there and watch a game as, a, as an NFL, former NFL quarterback who made a lot of those throws and look at a throw and go, oh, my gosh. That was incredible. And that's exactly what that was. I mean, didn't you, you think know, when the, you first saw it, didn't you think that there's no way that Jared Cook was inbounds? Oh, yeah. No, no question. You think he's out of bounds. And, and, and by the way, you got to give Jared Cook a lot of credit. I mean, for him. What to, a catch. What a catch. What a, what a catch. And what, you know, great, you know, talk about field awareness, knowing, that, knowing where he was on the boundary, getting both feet in bounds, catching the. I mean, that's not an easy play, especially for a tight end who doesn't maybe make a ton of those type of catches. So I, that, that to me, was, Rich, was I, I have to, I have to ask you this. So you were known, uh, I mean, obviously you were one of the great mobile quarterbacks of the nineties and of the early two thousands. So I need to ask you about sort of the degree of difficulty of moving to your left as a right-handed quarterback, getting flushed to your left and being able to throw the ball accurately when you can't set your feet but you're on the move and you're going sort of opposite of the way. A lot of times quarterbacks who are right-handed running to your right, you're kind of used to doing that. But this is almost like if you're a right-hander in basketball of dribbling left-handed, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit difficult, but tell me if you can, as a guy who used to do this as a mobile player of the difficulty of rolling to your left and then throwing from the left. Yeah, it's the most difficult throw for a right-handed quarterback, no question about it. And a lot of things can go wrong, especially when you're moving and you don't have a chance to set your feet. I mean, a lot of times you, you can miss the ball. You, you can miss the throw, throw behind your receiver. You can, you know, overcompensate and throw that ball out of bounds, especially in light of the situation. Um, but, you know, he doesn't he, – he's not a conservative guy. He's not built that way. He's not wired that way. He's a very aggressive player. He's got a lot of confidence. He's been in those situations. He's delivered in the past. Peter, you go back and look at the great plays that have ended the game, Doug Flutie's throw uh, against Boston College, uh, you know, Aaron's throw against Detroit, and a couple other throws that he's had, you know, against Arizona and, and such. It's his ability to drop back, draw the rush, uh, escape, whether it's to his right or to his left. He'd prefer to go to his right, obviously. But then to escape, keep his feet alive, keep his eyes downfield, his, his, the ball in a throwing position. And then I think be able to throw the ball with some velocity when he doesn't have time to set his feet. I mean, that to me, we talk about the wrist talent, the ability to make throws based on just that wrist strength. And I mean, just simply flick the ball you know, under duress. And I, you know, that's what, what amazes me about him when he doesn't have time to set his feet. And he can still deliver the ball and so accurately down the field. I can make that throw, Peter, if it was maybe a 15 yard or an 18. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now all of a sudden you're talking about a 45 yard throw or whatever it was. I mean that <laughs> is. I mean that 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 is just. And again, it speaks to his arm strength, the ability to throw the ball deep down the sidelines on the move, and you know, and 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 just put it in a a, a box of a, about a 12 inch box. I mean it's. 
He, you know what he should do? He should give up playing quarterback and just go over to Hawaii and participate in those skills competitions. He'd win it every time. <laughs> he'd, be, he'd be the best ever. <laughs> Might not be quite as challenging for him, though. You know, Rich, I wonder, looking back at the first six, seven weeks of this year when he was not throwing the ball accurately downfield at all. In fact, pro football focus at one point, I think it was after seven weeks, this guy who's one of the most accurate downfield throwers in NFL history was actually like 29th in the NFL in throws over 20 yards in the air. You have any idea why he struggled a little bit early this year and maybe how he might have turned it around? Yeah, I think so much of what happens at the quarterback position is predicated by what goes on around them. And I think when you look at the fact that Jordy Nelson, Peter, was just coming off of that injury, he was slow to get going there early in the season. Uh, I think Randall Cobb was banged up. You know, you've got some young players, Devontae Adams still, you know, figuring things out. Um, you know, I, I think it, it's taken a while for him to get comfortable with the, the people around him. Remember, you know, Jared Cook, uh, you know, he was in his first season and he's, you know, learning uh, how to play in that system. So there's a lot of moving parts, the, the injuries, the running back position, you know, all their struggles to run the football and have balance. I mean, I think all that factors into, you know, how you're able to perform, how teams try to defend you. And, you know, I think the great thing about it is, is that, you know, if you play this game long enough, there's going to be adversity along the way. And they were able to battle through it. This reminds me a lot of when they won the Super Bowl, uh, you know, their, their Super Bowl, uh, you know, Aaron's Super Bowl, the last time they, they, they were in the Super Bowl and won it against Pittsburgh. I mean, this is the same type of, you know, they had to go on the road in the postseason. You know, they had their struggles, but they got they got hot at the right time. And this team reminds me a lot of that team that was able to win the Super Bowl in Mike McCarthy's first try. You know, Rich, I, I remember going back to the Giants in the Super Bowl against New England in January or whatever, February 2012, so the 2011 season. I remember watching the end of that game, and Eli Manning was deep in his own territory, and he threw this, I think it was about a 38 or 40-yard rainbow down the left-hand side, and Mario Manningham was double-covered, and somehow, someway, the ball just fell out of the sky and landed in Manningham's hands, and the Giants went on to score... And that was the game-winning drive, but that was the key play of that drive. So a few days later, I talked to Eli Manning about that particular drive. And I just said to him, Eli, I think that's, you're going to look back at your NFL career and maybe that wasn't the most significant throw. It wasn't a touchdown. It wasn't anything, but you will look back and say, that's the greatest throw of your life. And in my opinion, this throw by Aaron Rodgers, and he said after the game, oh no, I made a lot better throws. I, I, I don't think he has. I think he will look back someday when you look at the time capsule of the great Aaron Rodgers throws. There have been other throws that have been touchdowns, that have been farther down the field or whatever, or they've been the Hail Mary things. But to me, the reason why this was so huge, it's uh, sort of a do or die. You win or you go home. It's a sudden death kind of throw. And it's an it's an awkward throw. I mean, so just grade this throw in terms of importance and where you think it's going to rank in the history of his throws. Well, Peter, I think a lot of it depends upon what happens in the next couple of weeks. If they go on to win the Super Bowl, certainly people are going to look back at this play and this game's a turning point, and I think this will go down in the 
in the you know lore of you know Aaron's career as a you know as a defining moment and defining throw. And I think you can do the same thing with you know Brett Favre and Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. And if you really look close enough with with those type of players that have had success in the postseason, but you know I just you know I've been around him enough. I've I've done enough of his games. I've watched him grow and develop. I, you know, I, I'm always amazed when I, I actually am down on the field at, at a practice, a training camp practice, and I just hear the ball kind of whiz by me, you know, and, and, and the tight spiral. I mean, there's, there's certain, you know, I say to, I always say to Kevin Harlan, my broadcast partner, I say, Kevin, you know, I've seen a lot of guys throw balls. I've been to so many practices. I've been, to, I've been involved down the field in so many games. It's rare that I sit, simply go, wow, that was a good throw. And I say that a lot when I watch Aaron Rodgers, you know, and he just makes these throws that are so difficult and he makes them look so easy, so effortless. And I think a lot of it has to do, as we've talked about, with his overall, you know, physical makeup, his, his arm talent, all those things we talked about. But I think more importantly, it's from the waist down. I think that's where he has head and shoulders above just about every other quarterback out there. His escapability, his his power that he's able to generate and the torque that he's able to generate on throws moving to his right or to his left, his ability to just flick it and have it, you know, shoot down the field 40 or 50 yards. You know, for me to do that, Peter, I had to, I had to generate a lot of upper body the torque and turn and left side involvement and legs and core. And so he, he sometimes I see, he, it just seemed like he, he didn't even like blink. It just comes out so easy. It looks like he came out of a jug machine sometimes. And to me, that's what I think, you know, is the wow factor. You simply say, wow, not a lot of guys can make that throw even at this level. Just think, you're a former MVP, and you played the position at the absolute highest level. And now you watch the games, and you basically are almost jumping off your couch watching this guy play. That is kind of a tribute to Aaron Rodgers and how good he is. It really is. And I don't say that, you know, I watch other quarterbacks and, you know, they, and they're all, they're all great players at this level. And, you know, you know I, I say that's a good throw. And that's, but it's, it's rare that you say, wow, was that just an incredible throw? And, you know, we, I say that a lot with, with, you know, a guy like Rogers, because he makes, as I said, he makes some throws and they, they must sit in the film room. You ever think about that, Peter, these coaches, Mike McCarthy sitting in that film room, and Tom Clements and, and the rest of that staff. And, and, and they sit there and they must look at the throws on Monday morning and go, oh, my gosh. Or even, <laughs> you know, the, or even the receivers. Can you imagine being one of those receivers? Yeah. Like Jordy Nelson or Randall Cobb sitting in the receiver room on Monday and just watching. Hey, how throws? about this? How about this? How about your Geronimo Allison? You're a free <laughs> agent. You're, you're thinking you're never going to play in the NFL. And then all of a sudden you show up in training camp and you're catching balls from Aaron Rodgers. And now you're in a playoff game and Aaron Rodgers is throwing you footballs. I mean, it, it, that's got to be a little bit of a wow. <laughs> I can promise you that Geronimo Allison never had anyone in Illinois throw him a ball. Like that. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's just, you know, there's just, it's rare in our business, Peter, that someone comes along and it's not like this. He just jumped onto the scene. I mean, he's been doing this for a decade now, but I mean, it's rare that somebody comes along and just continues to, you know, play it. And I think the thing that separates the Tom Brady's and the Peyton Manning's and the Aaron Rodgers and the Drew Brees's of the world, in my opinion, is the one thing. It's the consistency. I don't pick up your Monday morning QB column and read very often where 
Tom Brady threw three interceptions in a loss to the Dolphins uh, in September. You don't read those articles. You just don't see instances where those quarterbacks I mentioned and very few others, they play at such a high level, game in, game out, week in, week out, season in and season out. And it's just, it's amazing. I mean, to me, the production and the consistency from these players in today's game with how difficult it is with defenses and talented players and cover corners, it's just it's pretty amazing. Finishing up with Rich Gannon. And Rich, so for all your exposure now to Aaron Rodgers, you're around him every preseason for four or five games. And so, and I'm sure you've done a bunch of his games in the regular season too. So now you've been around him a lot over the years. So what do you think of him as a person when you factor that aspect of it into how good a player he is? What When you're around him as a person, you know, if somebody says, hey, what's he like? What would you say? I think they're all different. Everyone has their different personalities. I think Aaron's pretty guarded. I think he's a private person. Um, I think he's well-respected in that locker room. I think he's a guy that has developed relationships, despite what some reports would suggest. Um, but I think he's a guy that likes to get away from it a little bit. I would say this about him, Peter. I think he's ultra-competitive. I think he's a, at this point in his career, I think he's well aware of his legacy and what's at stake. You know, I think the conversations between he and Mike McCarthy about the, the sense of urgency about winning another Super Bowl, bringing another Lombardi trophy back to Green Bay. I mean, I, I think when you get to this level of a Brady and Manning and you start, you start thinking about your legacy. You know, I won one Super Bowl. Maybe I, you know, I'm, how nice would it be to win two or to win three? You know what I mean? I think he's starting to, you know, have those conversations internally because when you look at what he's done, I mean, clearly he is a hall of fame type player and you know, you're, you know, better than I, because you're one of the voters, but I think, you know, clearly he is heading down that path and it would mean a lot to him and certainly to his legacy and his career to be a multiple Super Bowl winner. And I think that's, that's on the horizon for Aaron Rodgers. Rich Gannon, so much appreciate you taking time and giving me thoughts, and especially, I think, of telling our listeners exactly what it feels like to make a throw like that. And I think when you said, hey, you know, I can do that 15 to 18 yards, but, you know, throwing it, you know, as far as he did down the field is pretty impressive. So uh, I really appreciate you joining me and discussing one of the greats in our midst. Well, you're the best at what you do, buddy. I, I enjoy your, our, you and the job that you do and certainly our friendship. So thanks for having me. All the best to you, Rich. Thank you. See you, buddy. This is the MMQB Podcast. Sponsored by State Farm. Every football team knows the two-point play can be a winning move, a real game changer. That's why State Farm is here to help you combine your home and auto insurance. Two great policies, the two-point play, protecting two of your most valuable possessions, all with one company. It's a great call that can save you time, can save you money, and it simplifies your life. Because State Farm understands your life is about more than insurance, especially at this time of year, when everybody knows life is all about football. Football, football, football. So, go for the win. Score yourself some savings by combining your home and auto insurance. It's just another way State Farm is here to help life go right. Talk to an agent today at 1-800-STATE-FARM. And now, my conversation with A.J. Hawk. Back now on the podcast with A.J. Hawk. Now, for those of you who don't know, 
A.J. Hawk was a Green Bay Packer from 2006 through 2014. So that means that A.J. Hawk got the last two years of Brett Favre's career, and he got the first, whatever, seven years of Aaron Rodgers' career. So, A.J., welcome. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Good to be here. So I guess... I wanted to sort of, I I mean, look, I'm a little bit in gee whiz mode. We talked to Rich Gannon earlier. So Rich Gannon, here's a guy who won the MVP in the NFL when he was with the Raiders 15 years ago. And he watched that play at the end of the game, the, the roll to the left and throw it 36 yards in the air, uh, right to a postage stamp in Jared Cook's hands. And he was in awe of it. So I wonder, you're watching the game. I assume you're watching the game at home on your television in Columbus, Ohio. What's your reaction when you first saw that? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I guess I, I, I wasn't. I, I mean, I, the play, yeah, made made me think like, wow, this is this is unbelievable what he just did. But at the same time, I kind of expected that to happen from Aaron. I, I've seen him do that a bunch, whether it's practice or one of the games, and that's definitely one of his top. Uh, probably one of his top plays. I thought it was pretty athletic and going across your body and throwing a ball like that. People I don't think understand. I don't think anyone can really understand how difficult that may be. If if someone tried to like recreate that, even like a high school quarterback, it wouldn't even, most kids probably can't throw the ball 10 yards the way that Aaron fired that thing. So I think what I would really um, set me off. And I said to my wife right after that safety, he's, Blitz off the edge. He was unblocked, and he hit Aaron, and it showed the replay again. At first, I said, man, how did he hold on to that ball? That's unbelievable. And then they showed the replay, and you saw how close not only was Heath's arm or hand to knocking the ball out on the initial impact, but then after Aaron gets hit, when your arms kind of go up, somehow he had the grip strength to hold on to that ball and not lose it. Right then, I knew it. I told my wife, I, I said, He's going to throw a deep ball out of bounds, and they're going to give Mason a chance to win this thing because I know how big of a leg Mason Crosby has. And I think it was the next play. So it was, it was like, the next play. You're you're amazing. Yeah. You're you're Kreskin. You can see the future. <laughs> well, obviously, I'm saying it now, so anyone, no one has to believe me. I guess you could check <laughs> with my wife. But I knew then, like, oh, okay, this is there's something special happening today for sure, and there has been this year for them. But right, that's just that's the underrated play of the game. I think. I mean, of all the things that Aaron did, which was everything, was unbelievable all day the ability to hold on to the ball when he didn't, I wanted to see the replay to see if he felt the pressure. And he, I don't think he did. He didn't even have that last split second to try to, to pull the ball down. So that was a, an unbelievable play that kind of goes overlooked. I think it's a great point. That's the first time in NFL history in any game that there have been three 50 yard field goals in the final two minutes. I mean, that's how unbelievable is that? That's I mean, they, first of all, first of all, any kicker, Dan Bailey or Mason Crosby, you're lining up and you're saying to yourself, you have to be saying to yourself, yeah, there's a good chance this is the biggest kick of my life. And you, three times in the span of about eight minutes in real time, you got a guy saying to himself that. And then that play, you're right, by Rodgers holding on to the ball. So, AJ, my little monologue in this show this week is about how we're in such a hurry in the media to always say, okay, what's next? What is the next show? What's the next game? What's the next thing we're going to do? Sometimes I think it's a good idea to just sit back and to take a deep breath and say, do we realize what it is we just saw? 
Do we, do we realize the greatness of what we just saw? I know probably as a player, because you walk into that locker room after the game and Mike McCarthy has to be saying, okay, guys, let's, you know, we got one more. I mean, you actually got two more, but you know, we got, we got to get ready to go to Atlanta next week and blah, blah, blah. But in my mind, I think sometimes we just don't take enough time to realize the greatness of what we just saw. No, I agree with you 100%. It's like anything. We don't, you don't really, people want to talk about the good old days and what we were doing back then. I'm like, and I try to tell my kids and myself, I'm like, no, this, this, right now, this is, these are the good old days. Let's live them. Let's enjoy this right now and understand because a lot of times you look back and you're like, wow, that was a really, really amazing thing that I was able to be a part of, whatever time in your life it may be. When really, uh, hopefully, your whole life is, is different segments of that and you just don't take the time to enjoy it until later. So, especially with this, these NFC and AFC playoff games. I mean, are you these championship games? Are you kidding me with these four quarterbacks we have? I mean, it's pretty unbelievable with some matchups that we could get this coming Sunday. And I just think that the level of play is so high. It's going to be really, really fun to watch. With AJ Hawk, a longtime NFL linebacker. AJ, I wonder, you were around this guy from 2008 to 2014. You traveled with him. You were on the sidelines with him. You were in practice with him, trying to frustrate him. What's Aaron Rodgers like? Yeah, like so. Yeah, he got Aaron got there the year before me. So when I came in, I played two years with Brett Favre, and Aaron was the backup. So I was playing against him every day. He was running the scout team quarterback. So we knew right then how special he was. But just like all of the elite quarterbacks, they all have a absolutely ultra ultra competitiveness that just is unmatched and Aaron is no different no matter what he's doing. He's actually a really good athlete. So whatever you're playing, you play dodgeball, bowling, basketball, horse, whatever you're playing, he wants to win. He's going to try to win and we'll get very frustrated if he doesn't. But I I sat next to him in our team meetings for nine straight years. So I got to see him day in and day out, no matter what happened in that day in practice or if it was after a rough loss. And he was always the same guy and always super highly respected by how he carried himself and how authentic he is. And that's the thing I, I use to describe like how his leadership is. He, he's authentic to himself and he doesn't care what people on the outside may tell him to do or what a leader should be. He's going to do what he thinks is right and what's authentic to him. And every single person in that locker room and that whole, all of Lambeau knows that Aaron's going to play well on Sunday and he's going to hold you accountable. But at the same time, he's never going to go try to publicly embarrass you in front of, People, whether it's TV cameras, whether it's fans watching at practice, or even your own peers. Like, he knows how to hold guys accountable, and he knows how to kind of lead by example, A, but also when he is vocal, which is plenty, he he lets people know what their expectations are, and he lets people know that he's going to be playing at an elite level. And if he's not, he's very uh, open to admitting it and will let people know that he, he's going to work on it. It's just, I don't know, it's a special thing. One of those things, now that I'm thinking about it, I wish I would have taken some notes and taken some more time to, to actually watch how he did, how he did kind of conduct himself. Luckily, I still get to talk to him a lot and see him a decent amount. So I don't know. It might be weird if I'm hanging out. If I'm just hanging out with him, having dinner, and I'm taking notes. Do you think that's weird, Peter? <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, can't I do that. yeah. Well, that would be a little weird. Maybe that's one of those things that you little that you talk into your voice notes on the way home on your phone. <laughs> You know, like at the doctor. end of the day, yeah, here's what I remember. So how, how did you come to be the guy who sat next to him for all those years? Uh, well, in team meetings, you just sit wherever you want. There's no like assigned seats. And so 
I got when I got drafted, Aaron kind of reached out to me because he was the first round pick the year before me, and just kind of let me know, um, like what the process was like, what to kind of expect. And I didn't know anything. I was 21, 22 years old, still enrolled in school, and. Uh, we just kind of started uh, hanging out early on, and my wife, we got married shortly after I got there, so my wife was always kind of like, uh, she loves being like a, like a teen mom to people, so she would have him over and cook dinner for him, and he got to know my parents right away when they came up. After, the Packers bring all the parents up um, during OTAs for the, of the rookies, and he got to know them, and so yeah, just, I don't know. We, we sat next to each other, and once you kind of claim your seat, I'm sure as you've been in different jobs or wherever you are, once you kind of get your seat from day one, that's where you uh, that's where you stay. And, and the seat next to Aaron was open. It was right in front of Favre sat right behind us, and uh, I sat uh, right next to Aaron just because it happened to be open. And he he let me know that seat was open. I didn't want to steal anybody else's seat. I just wanted to make sure I didn't sit. I wanted to make sure I didn't sit in Favre's seat. That's really all I was worried about. You know, I remember in 1995, Mike Holmgren let me into the team to do a story on the week in the life of the Green Bay Packers. And so I, I said to him, I, I mean, I'd like to see everything. And he goes, well, you can see everything. You can go wherever you want. At the time, Steve Mariucci was the quarterback coach. It was Favre, uh, it was Favre, TJ Rubley was the third string quarterback and Ty Detmer was the backup. So I'll never forget sitting in those team meetings where, and I, you know, Steve Mariucci was a very sort of precise guy and everything. I'd look over and half the time Favre would be asleep. <laughs> and, or, or he just had like have his hat over his head and then, but Mary Itchy would ask him a question. He'd always know exactly what he was talking about. And three or four times he let loose one of the hugest farts you have ever heard. <laughs> and I, I, I just, I couldn't believe this. And, and Mariucci would have to like air out the room for a while. And I said, man, the NFL, this is really a professional place. Anyway, that was sort of a good time. Yeah. I played two years with Brett. I never saw him sleep, but believe me, I, I sat right in front of him. So, you know, I felt the wrath of those farts. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so now that you introduce Favre, a lot has been said recently about the relationship between those two guys and the fact that it was a little bit frosty. And honestly, I can imagine, you know, what you must feel like if you're one of the best quarterbacks of all time and you're still playing really well and the team drafts a quarterback in the first round. It's like they're bringing in a guy to make you obsolete. So what was what was that scene like toward the end, toward the you know the last couple of years of of Favre and then the beginning of Rodgers? Yeah, well, my first year, so my rookie year, we went eight and eight, um, and Brett played pretty well. Our defense wasn't very good, but my second year, we got to the NFC Championship game, and Brett played really, really well all year long. So it definitely was was weird because then after that year was when they transitioned to Aaron and, and Ted Thompson basically made the decision that, Hey, Aaron's our guy. And that was, if you remember during training camp, like Brett was on the private plane, landed in green Bay yeah. saying he wants to come back. It was weird. It was really weird. We didn't know what was going on. And I know the green Bay, I, you got to give Ted Thompson credit. Like he, he knew he was going with Aaron and he stuck with it. And he stuck to his guns and that's how he is. So I respected that, but they never, there was never anything that like, was out in the open or public between Aaron and Brett. And that's what, what was funny to me because every once in a while you'd hear uh, from reporters or people would ask you how their relationship was. I'm like, I don't know. It looks great to me. I watch them during practice. Not only are they going back and forth talking about the game plan and what's happening that week, but they're hanging out, joking around with each other whenever they were done with practice. And we may have had a few plays left on defense. It was just, uh, it always seemed like everything was, was fine. 
But as you can imagine, I mean, two ultra competitors and one of them feels like he's being phased out. It's got to be weird. And then no matter who the young guy was, if it's Aaron or, or any other person coming in to play quarterback, it, it had to be an, just it's just not a great setup, I guess, yeah. to, uh, to try to end your career. And obviously, Brett did not want to end his career yet. You know what was funny about that whole scene? I'll never forget. That was in sort of July of 2008. And I went down to do something with Favre right before training camp started. And he was convinced that, that they were going to release him. And he was convinced that Ted Thompson would eventually, if they put pressure on him, would release him. And essentially, they would uh, accede to his demands, which is, let me go play for the Minnesota Vikings. And I said, Brett, I I want you to just think about this for a second. I said, look, I don't know what's going to happen. And I've talked to Ted Thompson, but, you know, look, for people who don't know Ted Thompson, that guy should have been a poker player because I don't, (laughs) you never have any idea. You've just won the Super Bowl. I remember when you guys won the Super Bowl in Jerry's Stadium. And Ted Thompson looked like it was February 17th in the off season. And he was going to go get a cheeseburger in the middle of watching film. It just, you know, no emotion, no anything. But I just said to, I said to Brett, you, I said, you have to think of Ted Thompson. If he releases you and you go to the Minnesota Vikings, Ted Thompson will be hung in effigy in green Bay. He will not be able to walk down the street in green Bay. You got to be handing Brett Favre to the Minnesota Vikings. That's like the Boston Red Sox hanging David Ortiz to the New York Yankees 10 years ago. What are you crazy? You're not going to do that. So I I think there was, there was so much about that time that I think, first of all, I, I will always think that it's unrealistic to ask Brett Favre in March, what he wants to do. That guy changes his mind more than I change socks. And, and so yeah, yeah. you, you know, you, and, and plus, how do you know how you're going to feel in July in March? It, you, it's going to be impossible. But, but anyway, look, everybody has lived happily ever after mostly. And for the Green Bay Packers, it was a great decision because after the one year where Rogers is sort of getting his legs under him and he struggles some, but then 2009 to now, you know, eight years of ridiculousness. Uh, obviously, Ted Thompson made a decision that they should build a statue for him in Green Bay. But I just think a lot of times that that dynamic was, I'm, I'm not surprised at all that even if there was some sort of chafing of, re, of a relationship, Aaron Rodgers knew he was good enough to play in this league and to be really, really good. It doesn't matter if he's behind Jesus. He's going to think, I'm better than this guy and I can play. And so... I don't know, all this stuff that's come out, not, and I don't doubt any of it. I don't, I don't know it, but I don't doubt it. I just think it's, it's human nature and human reaction, you know? Anyway. No question. Yeah, I mean, you're right. You brought up a good point about Ted can't release you to go to the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, that, that's, really, that's a really good point. But the good thing is, like, I mean, I've asked Aaron about it. They've, him and Brett, they, they seem to have made up. I know they, at the NFL Honors, they presented something together a couple years ago, and they see each other every once in a while. And he said he hung out with them a little bit after the, the award show, and, and they get along fine. He said it was, he's like, it was great. We're just hang, hanging out, talking like we, like we normally did when, when uh, Brett was still playing in Green Bay. Yeah. AJ, I want to ask you a couple of things about you and playing football that are a little bit off topic uh, in a week like this, but I'm just curious, 
you know, you, I've always thought, were really one of the smarter players in the NFL. And one of the guys who who really sort of thought about your life and thought about your career. And as your career has gone on after playing at such a high level of college football and then of pro football, how much did it weigh on you when all the revelations about head trauma and long-term debilitating brain diseases can happen from football. How much did you think about that late in your career? And did it contribute at all to you walking away maybe a year or two early? Uh, no. So I didn't think about it at all when I was um, younger, my first, I don't know, five, six years in the league, I guess. But I mean, I, I, also at the same time, uh, I'm, I don't claim to be a genius, but I know that running my head into 350 pound guys my whole life every single day is not great for your brain. I knew that. So it's not like we can act like we're shocked that we find they find this, uh, this data going on, but which is still very early in the process. We don't, we don't really know everything that can happen, but yeah, I'd say my last couple of years though, I definitely thought about it more. Um, that also I think comes with having kids. I have three kids right now, I'm about to have four. So I, I think it's something where, you definitely do think down the road a little bit. I don't think it changed my mind on – it didn't change the way I play. It didn't change um, – didn't, like, make me walk away or anything. I think I was – I've been ready to, to be done for a little bit now. And But the one thing I, I guess it could make you feel better about is thinking, like, well, I, I thought if for some reason I really had, like, a crazy desire to play and, and I couldn't really hang get picked up anywhere to play – I always thought like, well, maybe, hey, maybe this is this is good because now I can, my, I don't have to take any more damage to my head. But at the same time, I think that uh, I've been very lucky genetically or whatever it may be that I literally have zero like documented concussions. I've never been knocked out cold. I've never come out of the game because of uh, getting hit. And I started playing football. How's that? Po- how's that possible? That's like I said because maybe there's nothing protecting there, Peter. I just have a big hard <laughs> skull with no brain. But I, I think honestly, you do. And I, I ask doctors this too. I, I ask them and say, "Is there are there people that are more ge- genetically inclined to have concussions compared to someone else?" And they say, "Well, we don't know like exactly, but yeah. I mean, there's it's like anything else." And I just think for whatever reason, my my bone structure, whatever it is, I've been very very lucky to where. I don't. It's never really been an issue for me. I, yeah, I've had little things where, <laughs> what do you call it? Like uh, guys get dinged or whatever, but I've never had anything. Like I, I've had friends that have been puking all night, stayed the night in the hospital, or don't tell anybody, and they're throwing up all night at home, and they forgot that they played in the fourth quarter of the game. Like I've never had anywhere near that. So I've been, uh, if I had had, a, if I had a couple of those, I think I definitely would have been worried, and maybe it would have changed the way I looked at my last two or three years in the league. Uh, finishing up with AJ Hawk. So AJ, you know, you've really, in a lot of ways, um, sort of lived in the football sense, kind of a dream life. You know, who plays at the highest level of college football at Ohio State? And then who plays at the highest level of pro football with the Green Bay Packers, with the great Brett Favre, with the great Aaron Rodgers? playing, you know, with Vince Lombardi and Curly Lambeau statues outside your field, playing in the in the Fenway Park and Wrigley Field of pro football. So you've had a pretty charmed life, haven't you, in football? <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. I, I, I never forget that. I remember that every single day driving into Lambeau Field. Like, this is not my 
I never wanted to take any day for granted. I thought this is not my work. Like this is, you can't call this work. I'm, I literally work at Lambeau field. Like that's not a real thing. Like it's, <laughs> I get to play football. So, so yeah, I literally work at Lambeau field. That's not yeah. a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, it's really not, especially when you get to go on the field and, and go play football in front of all those awesome fans. So no, I definitely understand that. And especially with like my health and I talk about being very lucky with my brain and everything. I, uh, man, crazy lucky. And to play at Ohio state, I'm an Ohio kid. I grew up an hour and 15 minutes away. I know you're an, an OU Bobcat, Peter. So yeah. being, uh, I'm sure you understand too, the, the pull that Ohio state has on everybody, especially in the state of Ohio. So man, I've been crazy lucky. Can I tell you my quick Ohio state story? You'll get a kick out of this. Please do. So yeah. I'm from a, a little town in Connecticut and the first time I had been west of Philadelphia was when my parents took me in the car to drive to Ohio University. I'd never been anywhere in my life. So I wanted to do journalism and they had a good journalism school. So they drive and they drop me off at school. And I said, oh, my God, I am like in I felt like I was in Asia for crying out loud. I mean, I was so far (laughs) away from home. So they dropped me off and that was in maybe like a week later, there's the first home football game. And I am so excited. I'm going to a game, Ohio against Bowling Green. And I said, man, I've heard of Bowling Green. What a cool name for a college or whatever. And I'm thinking, this is, this is great. I'm going to go. So I ask everybody in my dorm on the West Green at Ohio U, hey, yeah, you guys want to go over to the game? It was like 1 o'clock. The game's a 1.30 game. We live right next to Peden Stadium at where the football field was. And I said, hey, who wants to go to the game? AJ, there's not a soul <laughs> who wanted to go to the game. You know why? This is 1975, okay? We had one television in this huge dorm. It was in the basement of the dorm. And I stopped by to see a bunch of my buddies, my new friends. I said, hey, you guys, Steve, you want to go to the game? And, you know, and all this. And they go, nah, we're going to stay here. And I look, and they're watching the Ohio State football game on TV. I said, and I'm saying yeah. to myself, this is nuts. This is absolutely crazy. This Live your life. Stop. Don't live your life on TV. Come on, let's go to the game. And so, AJ, I have to tell you, there's about... I don't know, maybe 1,500 people at this at this game. And I said to myself, man, I thought I was going to go to a place where there'd be big football and everything like that. But everybody is like clogging this one room with a TV because they want to watch the Ohio State game. And that's what they did. Yeah. People at Ohio University don't go to the Ohio U football games. They watch Ohio State on TV. It's weird, yeah. <laughs> Luckily, it's, it's gotten better. There's a lot of great – Max football is a lot better now, but you're right. Yeah. Ohio State has this crazy pull on everybody, and, and I definitely felt it growing up in Centerville, Ohio. What do you think happens now, by the way, with the the sort of Urban Meyer, Jim Harbaugh sort of? It's almost like it kind of reminds me of you know Woody Hayes, Bo Schembechler, you know the history of it. But what do you think happens, and do you think that the Big Ten can surpass? the SEC is sort of the glory conference in college football? Uh, I mean, I think they can definitely compete now, hopefully top to bottom. The, the league is getting better, but having, I mean, I do a lot of stuff for Sirius XM right now, and I was actually at the Ohio State Clemson game, but we were talking about the Big Ten and this the Urban Meyer, Jim Harbaugh thing, and I was just, I love it. I think it adds so many different dimensions to this game just because Harbaugh is just such a character in his own right. Yeah. And Urban seems like he is the complete opposite of Harbaugh, and they, it, I, I don't I have no idea how they feel about each other privately, but it just it adds so much to this game. And then 
You have a guy like Marco Antonio at Michigan State who I played for, and he's an amazing coach. And then I think bringing P.J. Fleck into Minnesota was a great hire by Minnesota. That's So I, you would think the Big Ten now won't just hopefully be basically two or three teams kind of running the show, and hopefully from top to bottom everyone else can, can, be, uh, can compete. But if they're going to compete with the SEC and the ACC right now, they're going to need a, need a couple teams to step up. Yeah. Hey, really interesting stuff. Uh, AJ, I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast this week. You really enlightened our listeners a lot about Aaron Rodgers, about your wife being the team mom and everything. I thought it was uh, some, some cool stuff, and I appreciate it. All right, yeah, no problem. Thank you. It's the MMQB Podcast. I want to ask my listeners a quick question. How would you like to get three home-cooked meals for free? Well, all you have to do is remember these four letters, MMQB. That's easy enough, right? Now keep listening, and I'll tell you how to get those free meals. Look, we all know there's nothing better than a great home-cooked meal. No one makes it easier for you to do that than Blue Apron. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everybody. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their suppliers and only bring the best ingredients to you and right to your door. Customize your recipes each week based on your preferences. Blue Apron has several delivery options so you can choose what fits your needs. And there's no weekly commitment so you only get deliveries when you want them. And can I interject a little personal note? So my daughter out in San Francisco, I was just with her last week. Uh, they had their first baby. And so my daughter got a gift from her in-laws, and that gift was Blue Apron. I mean, no idea whatsoever that, that I did Blue Apron spots on my podcast or that Blue Apron has been so good to the MMQB podcast with Peter King. But I'm sitting in there and they're looking at these cards, these sort of meal cards. And I said, my God, Blue Apron, that's my company. I love those guys. And Laura said to me, Dad, we're going to get Blue Apron. It's great. Look at this. And obviously, when you've just had a baby, you like to have good home-cooked meals, but you're not exactly standing there in the kitchen all the time making them. So, hey, just wanted to throw that in. Anyway, now comes that part about the three free meals I was telling you about. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash MMQB. That's three meals free just by adding in MMQB. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So please don't wait. Once again, that's blueapron.com slash MMQB. Blue Apron, it's a better way to cook. My thanks to Vance Joseph, Rich Gannon, and A.J. Hawk. So a few thoughts this week on a game we just witnessed and also where we are as a sporting society. So. I think one of the things that we do in the media these days is we always look at, because you, the listeners, the fans, the consumers of pro football, you want to know what's next. This week, you want to know, hey, let's talk about that Atlanta Green Bay game uh, this Sunday. Let's talk about that uh, Pittsburgh-New England championship game this Sunday. And, and I get it. Everybody is interested in what's next. But you know what I'm interested in this week? Not being so fast to address what's next. 
Because one of the reasons why you like this game, one of the reasons why I've covered this game for 32 years is because, you know, I often tell people, you know, on Sunday night when I'm sitting there writing Monday morning quarterback, one of the weighty responsibilities oftentimes when I'm writing this column that a bunch of people read, I always always want to write the right thing. I always want to write what people in the United States and quite honestly around the world, NFL fans around the world, what they want to read. I don't want to uh, have people go away from the column and say, geez, where was his stuff about the Aaron Rodgers game or about the throat age to, to Jared Cook or what, you know, so I, I'm always really convinced in trying to put some things in perspective. And this particular week, I'm, I'm down on myself a little bit. And I'm down on myself because you watch that game and you said, man, what an incredible game that was. And and then, you know, you just went right into the Pittsburgh-Kansas City game. And so, and that game was really good too. It wasn't as good as the uh, Dallas-Green Bay game, but it was a really good football game. And so you sit there at the end of it and you try to comprehend, okay, how great was that Dallas-Green Bay? Oh my God, great game. It was ridiculous. But now I think a few days later, we're all sitting here and we're trying to put that into some perspective. And I say, that really is one of the great football games I've ever seen. And in part, I say that because it was a great game. And after the two-minute warning, after the two-minute warning, you had one kicker kick a 50-plus yard field goal to tie the game. You had another kicker kick a 50-yard field goal to take a lead. And then you had the first kicker kick a 50-yard field goal again to win the game at the end, at the buzzer. And not only that, but you had one of the great throws of Aaron Rodgers' life. You had Dak Prescott, this kid quarterback, who was really, really terrific in this game, came back from a 21-3 deficit against Aaron Rodgers in his first playoff game. Imagine what must be coursing through Dak Prescott's veins as that game is going on and thinking to himself, oh my God, I'm down 18 points to one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. I better get my mind right and better come back. Well, Dak Prescott almost won this game. So I think my one message is sit back, appreciate what you just saw and understand that games like this do not come along very often. And when they come along, just take a deep breath. And instead of being so anxious to move away from it, you know, sit back, think about that. Maybe watch that game again. I thought NFL Network did a great job in saying right away on Sunday night, hey, we're replaying that game on Monday. And I'm kicking myself because I didn't turn the VCR on. What an idiot. I want to have that game on my VCR. So someday, Memorial Day weekend coming up, there's nothing to do. I'm putting that game on, and all of a sudden, I'm going to be thrilled again. But I just thought that was so much fun, and I think there's a lesson in that. And again, I don't mean to be in any way preachy. I honestly don't. But I just think sometimes we're so interested in moving on and looking at the next thing that we don't live life in the moment and think about this great thing that we just witnessed. So I'm done preaching. Enjoy the games this weekend. Enjoy the championship games. But you know what? If you have some time on Saturday and you by chance did record that game, sit back, take a look. 
and I promised myself that I was going to do this, that I'm going to go back uh, and watch at least the last, say, five, 10 minutes of that game, you know, which I have on NFL Game Rewind. I am going to watch it because I want to take in the stuff that I missed. Oh, one other thing that you missed in that game. How about right before Aaron Rodgers makes the throw to Jared Cook? How about right before then? He gets sacked in such a hard sack, a blindside sack with the ball in one hand and he doesn't fumble. I mean, there are just so many plays to sit back and say that game was a gift. And that was the Green Bay Packers gift to America, uh, the divisional weekend of the NFL playoffs. Thanks to my guest this week, Vance Joseph, coach of the Denver Broncos, NFL MVP quarterback Rich Gannon, and former Green Bay Packer linebacker A.J. Hawk. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the MMQB series, such as my conversations with Larry Fitzgerald, Adam Schefter, and Bruce Arians. You can find these on the MMQB.com or on iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Listen to the other podcasts in our series as well, with Albert Breer, Gary Grambling, and Andy Benoit. Thanks to the folks at Digital Media for their production work. And of course, thanks to my sponsors, SeatGeek, Blue Apron, and State Farm. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week. This has been a Digital Media Production. Find your voice.